Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Such a blessing to be here this morning. I'm truly thankful to, to have this opportunity to be leading, in, leading us in our next message in our series through our, the book of Acts. My name is Sean Boss. I'm one of the ministry leaders here, and it truly is my blessing to be taking us through what is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my go-tos, um, and, it, and, it, and it is for several reasons. Um, the, the book of Acts is, is so vital to the life of the believer and to the life of church for, for three specific reasons. Um, the first being that we get to see what the gospel is. We, we, we truly get to look at what the gospel is and, what, and we see what it looks like when it's lived out in the lives of believers and in the life of the church. We also learn about um, the rejection that is experienced specifically in the early church by those people who were, would have been Jesus' own people in terms of the Jewish people. And then we see the gospel's outreach to the Gentile, the Gentile world, um, non-Jewish people in their embrace of it. And then we also learn about the, the persecution that was endured by the early church, but it's persecution that is still found in our world today. It, it, it's all over the world when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the enemy never sleeps. This is why the book of Acts is so vital because it's history for us that we can look back to and, and we can be encouraged. So, so far in our journey, the focus in our, in our series so far has really been the gospel. And today it's going to be no different as we continue again through not just one of my favorite books of the Bible, but one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. We're going to be going through the whole chapter. And when I say it's one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, it's because of how it speaks to me. I'm sure all of you have your own favorite verses or favorite sections of Scripture. And if I was to ask any one of you, I'm sure you would all say it's because of how God ministers to me through this section or through this verse. Every time I encounter Acts chapter 3, that's what it is for me. It's God dealing with me and encouraging me on a personal level, and it's my prayer that when we get through the end of it today, that you'll, you'll feel the same about this chapter, and you might have your own reasons why. So in saying all that, I want to start our, our time this morning um, with a story. I always like telling stories, and my wife will say that, Sean, you're just a big storyteller. Um, I want to start today with um, uh, a time where it, it was my first missions trip to Guatemala, and if we have an image, I, I, I had an image I wanted, wanted to use for this. Um, behind me, is, it looks like a real hazy image, but what it is, is it's a, it's a picture <clears throat> of uh, the, the, the market in Antigua, the, the city of Antigua in Guatemala, and it's just as we are about to enter in. And um, the reason I, I, I took this picture, it's, it's just as we're going into the entrance of the market, and it's, it's what actually happened before we got into the market as we made our way in that, that stood out to me. It's just never left my mind. As you can see, it's a, it was a very busy market, lots of people. And as we, as we were entering in to get into the market, there was what I would consider like a gate that you had to go through. It was this big wide gate that you would walk through and it was literally just behind the lens of that camera. <laughs> and uh, as we approached the gate, I remember that uh, my, my eyes were drawn to this little boy. 
this little boy um, was, was holding the hand of this senior man, a very old man. Um, I say that very respectfully. <laughs> he, was, he was walking with this senior, and he was holding his hand. And as we approached, he would have been going from the left to the right side. And uh, he was holding this man's hand. And when he got to the far right side of the gate, I remember thinking to myself, oh, isn't that cute? This young boy's looking after his grandfather, or, or he's looking after a family member. But when he got to the right side of the gate or the other side, I, I'll never forget, he, uh, he reached down and he grabbed this small, tiny little stool. It would have been no bigger than what you would have put a, a, a preschooler on. And I remember watching him, and he, he sat the man down on this tiny little stool, and then he gave him a can, this old um, can that he gave him, and he left the man there to beg for money. I remember feeling crushed. My heart was crushed because in that moment, it instantly took me back to almost 2,000 years ago in a similar situation that we encounter uh, when we look at the book of Acts chapter 3. I, I remember even stopping and telling the team, I'm like, did you guys just see that? I can't believe what I just saw. And I explained it to them, and it was like instantly I'm transported back in time to this encounter, except what takes place in Acts chapter 3, it doesn't crush me. It actually strengthens my faith, and it fills my heart. It fills my heart because what we, what we see here in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 10 first, we see an encounter that a paralyzed man has with two apostles named Peter and John. Again, it's an encounter that absolutely encourages. And the scripture reads as follows. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So it's midday. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, he jumped to his feet <clears throat> and began to walk. Then he went, to the, into, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit and begging at the temple gate, called beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let's put a visual on what we're seeing right here. Peter and John are heading into the temple. So this was the temple that would have been called or known as the second temple. And we have the image here behind me to give you a bit of a visual, and we'll talk about it. Now, it's, it's a temple that was built by Herod for the Jewish people. Now, Herod didn't build this temple because he was Jewish or because he wanted to be one. He built this temple because he wanted to curry favor with the people. That was his purpose. Herod had built many religious places for various groups, and that's the reason why he did it. It wasn't because he was religious or wanted to be. It's because he wanted allegiance, because that allegiance is what would keep him in power. And here the apostles, they find themselves 
at this, at this place called the temple, or what would have been known as the second temple, a remake of Solomon's original temple for the house of God. And they're at this gate, which is called Beautiful. And for context, it's believed that the gate would have been known as the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. And it would have faced, it would have faced the gate of the temple on the eastern side, the house of God. And it would have been a sight to see, like if you can imagine, uh, um, when the sun comes up from the east, the sun would have shone right down on that gate. And that's why it would have been referred to as the beautiful gate, because it would have been a beautiful sight to see. So behind me here, looking at it, we have this image of, of what the temple area would have looked like. And, and at the very front there, you see where it's labeled the beautiful gate. And uh, that's where the apostles, they would have encountered this man who was paralyzed. He would have been on the inside of the gate where, the, where the, it would have been known as the Gentile courtyard. And that's where he would have been left to beg for money. And then you get inside of that to the inner areas and there's one other gate that leads into the, into the temple area or where, where the presence of God would be. It would have been a, a massive um, sight to see and a place to have been in that time. They encountered this man. So unlike the man I saw in Guatemala, this man was carried to this gate area because he's paralyzed and he's been paralyzed from birth. He's left there to beg for money every day and seeing the apostles, he does what he's, what he's done <clears throat> for as long as I'm sure he can remember. He sees them coming and he asks for money. And the first thing I want to highlight for us here is, or the first thing I want us to make note of in the text is, is the response that he receives when he asks for money. I want us to catch what it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 3. It says, Peter looked straight at him as did John, and then Peter said, look at us, look at us, give us your attention. And I want us to pause here for a minute and think about what Peter and John are doing when they say that. They look straight at him, and they call the man to look at them, and, and they want, it's because they want this man to know that they see him. They're validating this man's existence and that he's human. Reading an article I found in 2019 from a website called invisiblepeople.tv, interesting website name, it highlighted the harm that homeless people feel when those passing by can't even look at them. I mean, we know that people don't just disappear, yet so many people in our world today feel invisible. They feel like they're ghosts, but they're still alive. And it's a passion for me and for us here at the harbor to let you know and to let others know that they're not invisible. We're all created in the image of God. We're loved and we're so valuable. Again, I'm passionate about this and I believe that what we see in the apostles' actions here reveals that they're passionate about it too. Because right from the start, they're freely giving grace to this man when they say, look at us. Look at us, my friend. He's welcoming this man into humanity and for him to experience what it's like to be human. The man looks intently thinking he's going to get some, get some money, but they say silver and gold we do not have. But what they do have is priceless. They carry in them the living God, the Holy Spirit, as we've seen as Braden led us through Acts chapter 2. We see his power and he freely gives 
And in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter tells this man who's never walked a day in his life to get up and walk. And that's just what he does. So I want you to think back for a minute. I want you to think back to a time where you were asked to do something you've never done before. It's maybe a first time you've done something and how shaky you might have been. Like I remember the first time that I rode a bike or I was on a pair of skates or the first time that uh, I got behind the steering wheel and went to press the gas and how shaky I was. And then three times later, I finally get my license. (laughs) Helping this man to his feet, he gets his strength. And then he's found jumping and he's praising God and everyone's amazed. And I just find that amazement is is just not a strong enough word to to give us the context for what's happening here. But our our text continues and, and we get to the end of chapter three and going through verses 11 through 26. And they read as follows. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? God, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus." Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, Beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Excuse me. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you. He sent him first to you to bless you, if you can imagine that, by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So again, that's a lot of scripture. But I want us to note first the location we find the apostles in at this time and this man who's been healed. The text says that people come running from everywhere and they find them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. So again, we're referring to this second temple, um, a mirror temple of what Solomon created, King Solomon created for the Spirit of God. 
and it's called Solomon's Colonnade, or what would have been called then Solomon's Porch, and it was a grand covered walkway with massive columns. So if we had that image back up, if we can't get it of the temple area that showed the gate, what we would see here is you see an arrow pointing to Solomon's Porch. So the man starts over at the gate, he gets healed, and then a short time later, we find him over in Solomon's porch, which is this massive area with large stone pillars. It would have been an incredible sight to see from an architectural standpoint with what they had in those days compared to what we, what we have today. And as we can see, I mean, the image doesn't really do it justice in terms of what the size might have been like, but what we can tell in looking at the beautiful gate in Solomon's porch is that distance has been covered and it could very well have been a large distance that was covered and I'm thinking to myself do you think this man was happy to be on his new feet (laughs) do you think he was testing them out I'm sure he was and the people come running from everywhere and Peter seizes this opportunity to confront them with the gospel as he did with those in Acts 2 he lays out their sin in the internal danger that they're in And then he uses this miracle healing to minister the grace that's available and found only in Jesus, the very person that they murdered. He's blunt when he says this. And we we, we can never misunderstand what took place. Jesus was murdered. The righteous one under the protection of the rulers of the day was murdered. And Peter's blunt about it in verse 15 when he says, you killed the author of life. You killed him. He speaks of the power they had, but then, and whew, he speaks of the great power, the greatest power of all that's found in the living God who has the power to raise the dead. From there, everything's finished and Peter's calling them to repentance. He tells these people that despite their ignorance, God wants to bless them. Despite the murder they've committed, God wants to bless you. There's still hope for you. What do we do with people when they're convicted of murder? I don't think the last thing they hear when the judge sentences them and they're escorted out is, bless you, my son. But this is what happens. They thought they were enforcing their own will, but everything done was according to the Lord's plan in fulfillment of of all the prophets that they would have known. It's the gospel we've been covering here these past few weeks. The disease is sin. We all have it, It, and it leads to death. We need to repent. We need to follow the will of the Lord in his leading in our life because it's a new life. It's a life that's full, and it's a life that's eternal. That's what we're dealing with in Acts chapter 3. That's the whole premise of of what we're looking at here, church. And if you're not tracking, maybe there's so much going on in the text here because we covered a lot of it. Maybe you're feeling a little bit scrambled. I know every time I encounter it, that's kind of how I feel. And I want to say, I get it. I mean, if looking at all this text, it, it just feels like there's so much to take in. I get it because I can only imagine how hard it might have been for some of those in Peter's day to follow along with what he was saying. I mean, a man they've known since birth, a crippled man, is standing in front of them. So to to feel like they were a little bit distracted while Peter's talking to them, 
I, I can imagine that's possible. I know it would be for me in my attention span. So I imagine myself saying to Peter something like, Peter, I'm trying to follow you, but can, can you just do one more thing in the name of Jesus? If this is how you're feeling, I, I, I just want to review this again. I, I, I kind of want to re-summarize everything we've co- covered and, and go a little bit more deeper on it. Because what we're looking at here is a posture. When we look at what's taken place and what these apostles are doing it, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, it's a posture that's being lived out in their lives and it results in three things that are accomplished. They're outputs that we find in our text that will cement the truth that we need to take away this morning that we can apply in our lives to be encouraged. So by posture, what I'm referring to is this position that they're standing in. Have you ever heard someone say, you need to correct your posture? I know I used to say this to my son all the time because he always slouched. I'm like, one day you're going to be permanently like that. And sin causes that posture in our life. It permanently bends us so that we can't stand rightly and in a way that's healthy. But in Christ, the posture's corrected. And what I'm talking about is posture from a spiritual perspective. It's not a physical posture. It's a spiritual posture. And it's, it's something that we can visualize because Peter and John, what they're doing here is they're not looking at their day and, and marking down all kinds of items and, and actions that they want to try and accomplish. They're making themselves available to any and every opportunity that may present itself for them to minister. That's what they want to do. That's where they want to be positioned. In Matthew 5 verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the apostles' position. They're humble. They're available. They're seeking and saying yes to the Lord's will despite any fear or any reservations they might have. And believe me, they would have a reason to be afraid. If anybody had reason to fear in ministering the gospel, it would have been these guys because remember, that time was a very violent time where persecution was strong and rampant by all those around them. But because Jesus lives and their trust is in him, they take courage and they shine his light and they do it boldly. That's the posture. It's a posture of light. And I'll say this, it's a posture that we as individuals and as a church need to have as well. We're not excused, and nor should we be. If this is what the apostles endured, how are we any different? And I say this knowing that fear may be present. I'm not saying that fear should never exist for you. I struggle with it. But it should never become a crutch that prevents us from answering the call that God wants to place on our lives. We have lots of scripture to encourage us in this regard. I remember and think of 1 John 4 verse 4 which says, greater is he who is in me or us than he who is in the world. And see if you guys remember how to finish this one. In in 1 John 4, 18, it says, perfect love does what? It casts out fear. That's right. All fear. Perfect love casts out fear. In the case of our text, shining Christ's light, it produces three outputs that fear can't stop. 
And the first one that I want to highlight again for us this morning is this reality that a man is healed, church. Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, he heals a man who's never walked a day in his life. But why? Why does this happen? And why is, is, is Peter performing this miracle now? I want us to remember what we learned back in Acts chapter 1 when Braden led us through that chapter and what Jesus said to the apostles before he ascended to heaven. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here we are today. But they're in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus wanted them to start. This is where you guys start. And they've taken the torch. They've accepted the mission. They've been, <clears throat> and Richard, you'll like this, they've been disciple-made. <laughs> they've been disciple-made, and now they're answering the call on their lives to go and make disciples of others and for them to go and do the same because they've been enabled to do it. That's the mission of our church. We're just doing what God wants us to do and calls us to do. So in line with their call and purpose, they heal this man who's off his mat. He's running and jumping and glorifying God in an area where there would have been a lot of women, there would have been a lot of Gentiles, and those deemed undesirable or unclean. If you had seen that image of the temple area up again, if we could get that up just very briefly, <clears throat> there were layers to getting to the, the temple or the holy place where God's spirit was. That first outer area surrounded by the wall would have been called the Gentiles' courtyard. This is where you people are going to go, the women, the Gentiles, those who are ill or undesirable, and, and that's where we're going to put you. And then we get to the inner court area, and then we get to the, the temple area. So you can imagine how much hope this would have brought the people to see this happening in the area where they are, and it would have drawn a massive crowd. What's going on here? What does it mean? But before I get to that, I, I want to take a moment and I want to speak to some of us here directly this morning. Some of you may be hurting and, you, and maybe you've been hurting for a while. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Sean, this is all great news and I'm glad you had get encouragement from it, but I got to tell you, brother, I'm sitting on a mat right now and <clears throat> I've been sitting on it for a long time. I want to get up, but I can't. So what about me? To you, listener, I want to say a few things. The first may be that for some, and I say this with as much grace as I can because it could be hard to hear, you may be in that position due to some choices that you made in life. Maybe it's choices that other people had made, but regardless, God wouldn't have wanted any of those choices to be made at all. Or maybe it's due to to sin that you have in your life that hasn't been addressed, it hasn't been repented of, you haven't turned to God for deliverance from it, and you're struggling. In either case, it may not be an immediate healing or deliverance that's needed. It may be that a restoration has to take place. And with any restoration, they take time. Sometimes the house needs to be gutted. It needs to be taken right down to the studs. Sometimes what is rotting on the inside needs to be found, pulled out, so that newness can be put in to bring that house back to life or that place back to life. 
Biblically speaking, it's a process where you're turning and you're growing in your faith as you trust God with your life and with your decisions every day. The healing may come through a resource. It may be a mentor or a discipleship process. Think about that for a minute, people. It could take time. The apostles were with Jesus for over three years before they were ready. It took over three years before they were ready to do the work. They needed time to be prepared. They needed time to have what, some old thoughts and some old habits and maybe even some old sins to be broken and cleaned out so that they can be made new, see the world through Jesus' eyes, and be ready to work and ready to move forward. For those that are dealing with an illness or a disability, or maybe it's a loss, I want to encourage you that God sees you. But do you see him? Are you looking to him? As I think about this, I can't help but hear Jesus maybe saying to you like the apostles said to this this beggar who was paralyzed, look at me. Eyes up here. You can't take your eyes off me if we're going to get through this. Like Peter stepping out of the boat, the oceans are roaring. But when Peter's eyes are fixated on Jesus, he he notices nothing, and he's able to do what was and is considered to be the impossible, and he does it in Christ. Amen. But when he takes his eyes off at Jesus, what happens? He sinks. If life feels like it's a storm, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. His answer may be yes, It may be no, or it may be not right now, my son or my daughter. When the veil is lifted, I will say this. When we see Jesus face to face, we will be healed. And that healing starts the moment that you accept Jesus into your life. The moment you receive his grace, you trust him, and he changes the direction of your life. It may also be that just for now, your situation is necessary. Maybe your situation is necessary to bring glory to God if you're willing to put your will aside and to prioritize his will in your life. We learn of this perspective when we hear what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, when he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we will suffer, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. There is comfort to be found in him, and maybe someone will never hear the gospel if we are not carrying our cross for Jesus. Sometimes when ministering, it's hard for someone because they can't relate to you. And maybe this is an opportunity to be relatable so that someone can be saved. In everything, though, God is aware and God is in control. Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he said, his power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's strength is found in weakness. There is strength to be found when we are weak. I don't like being weak, 
I don't condition my body to be weak, but I will say there are times when I am weak, physically and spiritually, but there is strength found in Christ. This beggar's 40 years in, never walked a day in his life for 40 years. And I ask, are you willing to wait a little bit? Are you willing to set aside your will and say yes to the Lord's will and allow your circumstances or our circumstances to bring him glory? I love what John MacArthur said about this in a, in a clip I had recently heard. He said, that's when the believer experiences the greatest level of worship in closeness to God. It happens when we let our circumstances say, yes, Lord, here I am, use me. It doesn't say, Lord, when I'm ready, when money's in the bank and food's in the fridge, the roof's over our head, I'm healthy, all that, then you can use me. It's, yes, Lord, as I am, use me. Coming back to our text and what it's about, what does this mean? It's another takeaway for us. Peter's using this time of healing to shine the light of our king in preaching the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. So what's causing all this? What's the reason for this hope? The reason for this miracle? It's not a matter of what's going on here. It's a matter of who. Who's causing it? And the who is Jesus. Jesus is Lord in Peter's life, and he's ready for the moment. The apostles don't accept any credit or glory for this. They don't make the mistake we'll learn about later in the book of Acts. They give all the glory to Jesus and what's been done, and they direct the people that are witnessing it to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the prophecy they would have known, the Messiah, the one they murdered. He, he calls them out and he points them to the Old Testament so that they'll know for sure when he says in verses 14 and 15 of Acts 3, Peter uses names like the Holy and Righteous One, the author of life. This would have been familiar to them. Remember, they're spending all their time in the temple area. They're going to be hearing scripture. Combined with the miracle that they witnessed, Peter wants them to know that this Jesus, this Messiah, Savior, is alive. He's working in their midst despite their rejection and that there's still hope for them. Like I said, like we don't see this in our culture when people are sentenced. Very, very, very Few times will you ever hear a blessing wished upon the person who's done the harm. And here they are. The apostles are saying, there is hope for you yet. We need to know this. Despite what you've done, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. I want to think about how powerful this is. Again, they're surrounded by some of the very people who may have been yelling, crucify, crucify, over 30 days before. And a month later, Peter's boldly proclaiming the gospel to them. So what are we going to do in the face of rejection today when people want to persecute us for our faith? We have our response right here, and it's going to be a consistent theme that we see throughout the book as we make our way through. Again, Jesus is alive. He still loves. He still saves. He's still working. And in finishing... The final output for us 
that we find with Peter is, is in his exhortation or his imploring them to believe and receive this grace, this good news, and this hope. Verses 17 through 26 of Acts chapter 3 is Peter's plea considering everything they've heard and witnessed to turn in repentance and salvation to the only one who can save. There's only one way out of this. You murdered. There's only one way out, and it's Jesus. He calls them to respond, and there's only one right response for them to make. It's to repent, to turn to Christ. And again, Peter emphasizes this when he speaks from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy when he says in verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. To him, or the him is Jesus, and to reject him for us is to be eternally cut off, separated from the one who created you and desires a right and holy restored relationship. If the Israelites of old did not listen to God's prophets, they were cut off from the people. They were cut off from the community. It's no different for us today. Repentance is the only option. And any Bible-grounded preacher will tell you this truth. If you hear a message where any prosperity preacher or any false preacher, fake preacher, wolf in sheep's clothing tells you there's another way, turn your ears off. It's the only time you'll ever hear me say to shut your ears off. Just shut down. Because it's, you don't need to hear it because they're not telling you the truth. Verse 19 of Acts, Acts 3, we see what the future holds when we, when we say yes to this offer of grace. It says, repent, then turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In this climate created by the power of God, Peter is wasting no time in putting the ball in their court. And we at the harbor are consistent in that. We don't waste any time in in putting the ball in your court, respectively. It's the same. We implore you today, I implore you today to turn to Jesus if you've not placed your trust in him because you might not have a moment to lose. There might not be any time left. We, We never know when. I remember hearing a story of D.L. Moody or Dwight L. Moody from back in 1871. He lived in Chicago. I've had a chance to do a couple missions trips there and to be at the D.L. Moody Institute um, training up uh, missionaries and preachers to go out and and minister the truth of this gospel. I remember hearing about something that happened in 1871 where he was sharing the gospel with a large crowd. He was delivering a message and at the end of the message, he, he, he implored the people in this way. He said, I want you to consider everything that I've told you. And when we meet again, I want you to be ready to make a decision. And then that night, the great Chicago fire happened. And many people perished. Some of the people he may very well have been ministering to. And he made a, a decision in his heart. He vowed, I'll never delay the call of the gospel ever again. And that's how he lived his life. When it comes to your salvation, don't put off to tomorrow what needs to be done right now. Not later, but maybe right now. If you're not saved, if you don't have a relationship with the living God and Jesus Christ, repent of your sin. Confess your need for Jesus, his death on the cross, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin, and then look to him to guide you 
and lead you every day for the rest of your life. That's what I look for. Jesus, I need you every day. Krista will tell you that. Sean, you need Jesus every day. Because when you're not focused on Jesus, you are a different person. I need, I need to be focused on him every day. That's where my passion is. And if that's you, we're here to tell you that if, you, if you're making that commitment, we're here for you. We will support you. And then we want to dunk you. We want to put you right down in water. <laughs> we want to baptize you in the waters of baptism. And from there, we want, to, we want to walk with you. We want to disciple you and get you to the point where you are now doing what Peter and John are doing in our text and you're out disciple making. Because I don't have influence to the, with those people that are in the sphere of your influence. That's why God calls us all. We all play a role. This is the call and way of Jesus for the believer. And this is the ultimate takeaway from our text in Acts chapter 3. This is the big picture. God's just using multiple things to, 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 that are happening to, to lay this out. But the big picture is the call that they're answering in their lives. And it's the call that we answer in our lives when we profess to be believers in Jesus Christ. So as I bring this message to a close, I want to come back because I am reminded of of the mat that God found me on, a crippled and paralyzed sinner years ago. I can't even believe I'm saying that now, decades ago. We all have our mats. I mean, for some, and this seems like the story of my life sometimes, God heals us and he gets us walking only to find another mat to lie down on. We're walking for a while, and we look, oh man, that looked comfortable. I'm just going to lie down here for a minute. I'm hurting. And next thing you know, we're lying down and we're not moving. That's what it's like when anxiety becomes great in my life. That's what it looks like for me. I said that in the beginning of our message this morning that I was thankful to be up here to, to deliver this message because there was a time throughout the course of this year, and we're only not even in the middle of February yet, where I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I remember twice I had text messages typed out to Braden that were, were basically telling him, I'm out, I can't do it, I can't do it. There were two weeks in January, two separate weeks in January, where anxiety had me up against it. And in each time as I was about to press send, I remember feeling the peace of the Lord just settle on me and just say, well, wait a minute, Sean, wait a minute and breathe. Look up, <laughs> look at me. I, didn't, I still didn't feel like I could or I should preach it, but I did feel like I needed to be here today to, 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 to speak this message because it benefits the body when we see each other walking doesn't it? When we see God restore a life and bring healing, how much does it benefit the body? How much would it hurt the body if we couldn't see it? We need to see each other jumping, praising, walking, looking foolish if it's for God. I like what Paul said, if I look like I'm a fool, if it's for Christ, I'm okay. And I feel that way many times. Come to youth ministry. (laughs) We need to see each other not paralyzed and not on our mats. That's why I love this scripture so much. It's so relatable. Every one of us has been picked up. We've been cleaned up. We've been made new. 
In Christ, we don't have what we want. In Christ, we have what we need, what we need to stand, what we need to walk one day at a time, every day into eternity. See, Satan wants you to believe. He, he wants us on our mats. He deceives us into believing that they're not as dangerous as they look. I mean, here, child of God, take a rest right here. Lie down right here. You deserve it. Take a break. But the reality is, is that it's a pit. It's a gutter that keeps you from moving forward in your relationship and the work that Jesus has for you. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 12 and 11, verses 11 through 12. It says, he said to them, if any of you has sheep, has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than sheep? How much more valuable are you, dear listener, my brother and my sister? How much more valuable of you? You're valuable enough that he calls you to look to him. Look up. Eyes on me. We're going to get through this. We're going to do this. You're valuable enough that he tells you to get up. Get up off your mat and walk. You can do it. Like a little child, like you can do it. You can walk. You can walk in Jesus. And I'll finish with this. It's a prayer that, that the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, the Roman believers in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. He said this, and I think it's a great way to finish. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen?